0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more
1: shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I hope you are doing great out there in this wild, crazy world we live in. As always, I super appreciate that you are choosing to spend a little time with me. That is not lost on me. I know there's a lot you could be doing right now. So thank you very much for making me and us, because it's not just me, a part of your day. Today I'm talking to Steve from Does It Doom. He educates me on a lot of doom metal history, especially as it pertains to gear. We really get into it on this episode. And we talk about him, how he got started, and, you know, his unique place in the guitar gear world, which is pretty cool. I want to get right into the episode, but before we do, just a quick pluggery-do for the affiliate links attached to this podcast because without all of you making your purchases through those, this thing would be just about impossible to keep going. So thank you for that. All you have to do is go to ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater or ToneMob.com slash Reverb. If you are planning on making any purchases for the upcoming holidays as gifts for yourself or for a loved one, if you click those links and do your shopping through there, it does not cost you anything extra. But it does take a small percentage of that sale and put it towards this show. So thank you very much to everybody who's done that. I really appreciate you. And that is probably enough business for this particular episode. Let's get this right out of the way and get right into it with Steve. Here we go. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Steve Reese from Does It
0: Doom. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Blake. Thanks a bunch for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Pretty excited to be on here today.
1: I'm excited to have you. I'm I'm so curious about your story, and I have so many things I want to talk to you about uh you have a very unique perspective in the gear world, I think. And you've taken a, a unique approach to your channel and your content that you put out there. And it seems to be really working for you. And so I want to kind of get the whole picture. But obviously you focus on Doom. Duh. Yeah. Um, but where did you start? Most people don't... Uh, the first thing they listen to as a child isn't necessarily Doom Metal. So how take me from the, the early days up to uh now
0: and we'll just start there and see what happens sure uh I guess I I got into um I guess the 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 entry point for me was was I started out as a big you know as a punk kid kind of listening to the misfits and Sam Hain and and Danzig. somehow we were obsessed with that whole scene uh, and over time it, it somehow for me like for, you know minor threat black flag and all that stuff, Um, I feel like you would hear these discussions about Black Sabbath, right? Like just here and there of these bands being influenced. And, uh, eventually that took me to the Sabbath thing, uh, which just became something, um, that was probably, and is still my favorite band of all time. Uh, and then through, through that band, I guess, and other bands, you know, I I started, um, somehow got into down and obviously everybody's listening to Pantera and got into down and you started to, especially around when the down two record came out, um, you, in the interviews and stuff, the guys would always talk about bands like pentagram and Witchfinder general and St Vitus, uh, even sleep and stuff. And you'd see them wearing the t-shirts and, and talking about it in interviews. And, through that, I actually just got interested in the in the bands of the respective members, like Jimmy Bauer and I Hate God, and Kirk and Crowbar, Coc, which are, kind of make up the the New Orleans sludge scene, and uh, you know their range of influences and continual discussion of this doom metal idea or what have you, and that just had me diving in uh, and discovering all of these other bands that that kind of just became uh, certainly one of my favorite genres of music and eventually ultimately my favorite genre of music but uh you know i just started to dig into all these bands that they discussed and you know i discovered pagan altar and like i said listening to saint vitus and the obsessed and all the old doom bands and pentagram and and things like that and this was in the i guess 2002 was was about this time that i i discovered that scene and kind of then just dove down the rabbit hole and have been a big fan of the genre ever since.
1: Yeah, I I'm w- probably what would be considered a, a casual fan, or maybe even a poser by some uh, standards. But uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I I found it through kind of weird channels, like you. I started with the punk scene, and and that's always been a big part of my life. But I remember like reading alternative press when one of the High on, high on Fire records come out. And I was like, what What is this? First of all, I loved the name. I was just like, this is a cool name. Yeah. I don't know anything about this band, but that sounds cool. And, you know, working through there, and I always found myself, even if I didn't dive deep into, like, all of the different bands, obviously, like, I found Sleep, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. like, Like, wow, I didn't know you could do this, and the people would, like, listen to it. Not because it's bad but because it's like this seems so counterintuitive to you know i'm used to like high bpm like super fast punk stuff and yeah, things like that and i was like this is so heavy in a different way right that i don't i don't think a lot of people fully understand and now it's almost become kind of one of the more mainstream forms of metal i think at least that's my viewpoint on it
0: yeah i would agree and and that's been the interesting thing over the past 20 years because you know, it seemed certainly when I was, and you know, the circle of friends I was with um, were discovering it in these early two thousands. It seemed like a very obscure genre, and you know, of course, we 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 discovered Sleep uh, around the time of the, the Holy Mountain, or or discovered Holy Mountain after it had been released, but before the Jerusalem Dope Smoker stuff really hit. And you know, they obviously sounded um, Sabbath sabbathy and and uh, the that whole record was was really cool and different and then they dropped dope smoker and that thing was just monumental and I, i clearly up to this point has been a hugely influential record uh in terms of you know this band attempting to return like record this hour long song and you know the the whole stoner um caravan theme and everything uh, that went along with it with the guitar tones and the mad amps and and you know the big fuzzed out sound and and guitar tone and uh, I think that that album kind of changed the course of everything. Um, at least was one of them that that truly impl- impacted the scene and started bringing forward the new the kind of next wave and evolution of the genre um along with with bands like electric wizard as well.
1: Yeah. It does seem like you were talking about with Down. It seems it's in a somewhat smaller scale, but like Pantera and by proxy Down did for Doom sort of what Metallica did for the Misfits. You know, like it brought a bunch of people in that never would have heard it before. Like, they're just like, wow, this this is cool. Like, right. I think um, one of my favorite bands likes it, so I'm, I got to check it out, right? And it's this weird backwards thing that, that happens not... Not as often as it probably should, um, but that
0: seems like a very direct correlation in, in a way I hadn't really thought of before. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it just kind of shined the spotlight on this obscure genre and, and this a kind of bunch of artists that were had been doing things, you know, through the 80s and 90s and just had not um, kind of been brought to the forefront. And like you're saying, you know, Phil wearing shirts and and all the guys in the Phil and, Pe- and Pepper and Kirk and um, Jimmy and... That's what I definitely remember, just seeing the St. Vitus, like the V shirts and seeing the pentagram shirts and and even the sleep shirts. And then in interviews, like I said, they're just always talking about it. And it just led me down to dive in. Um, and then I just couldn't help but like it. You know, it's just like slow and and but but kind of sometimes groove oriented and bluesy, but dissonant and kind of has the had the evil undertones and everything kind of cool, you know, um, mm-hmm. just as a kid growing up and through your teenage years. Uh, I don't know. It was, uh, it was just something really cool and different and feeling like you had discovered something that, that was even further away from the mainstream, you know?
1: Yeah. There's something about like every single scene in every single city. Like there's, there's always one kid that's into one thing. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't get it, man. And it's (laughs) (laughs) right. And sometimes it's, and sometimes those end up being massive subcultures, which is, which is kind of like the irony of the whole thing. Like, I remember there was these kids I went to school with that were really into grindcore and they were always, you know, kind of poo-pooing all of us punk rockers. And uh, it was kind of funny. I, I, I just, and I'm like, man, those are just these weird kids that like this insanely aggressive music. And it wasn't until years later I found them, I'm like, oh, there's like, hundreds of thousands of kids yeah. that like this kind of thing like this is huge it's it's not as obscure as they
0: wanted to make it sound like and, it was and that's probably a byproduct of just not probably of, of just the internet right and the ability yeah. for all of us who were you know maybe and not able to connect in in 2002 or not as easily you know there were message message forums and things like that but uh you know you get the facebook groups and all of the social media now and it just seems like the scenes have all Gotten bigger because you can connect better with other people who are interested,
1: which is exactly what happens with like the whole gear community too. Yeah, like so you got all of these people that from all of these different genres that are all coming together about pedals. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's kind of this weird melting pot. Like if you get into like the Tone Mob Facebook group or uh, it, you know, any of the you know quote unquote gear forums and pieces that are all over the internet, you're gonna have a wide swath of people from like people who just like blues to shoegaze to doom metal to thrash. Like every, there's, I don't think there's a, there's a genre that's left untouched right. when it comes to the gear community. No, absolutely kind not. Of, <laughs> it's a funny distillation. Like we all come together for reverb yeah. and buzz. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So w- was there some sort of, like aha moment that made you want to start putting out content specific to it other than it just being like your direct passion was it like you identified a hole or
0: yeah, what I, was that I mean I had um kind of interestingly enough um I got really into the blues in the early um like in around 2010 and this was kind of through the getting reobsessed with Black Sabbath at some point I I had stopped playing guitar for a while and I picked up the guitar again and I was going to this was like 2010 maybe i don't know i hadn't played in a while and i was going to just start learning black sabbath songs was my plan and uh and so i kind of went through and had been messing around and and doing doing that and kind of had discovered like oh you know tony was actually started off as a blues player and so i started diving into the blues and really trying to learn chicago blues and things like that and had discovered um what was Stevie Snacks at the time, Texas Blues Alley with Anthony Stauffer and, and learning guitar now with John Tuggle and had kind of watched them do these really cool lessons and stuff, and had bought some of their courses and joined their memberships and whatnot. Um, and so oddly enough, that I, I kind of learning from that and then coming back to Doom, I was like, you know, I, I wanna, I wanna take this genre that I've loved forever and try and put that kind of um lesson presentation together and just do it for free on youtube i could feel like the scene had had gotten much bigger right this is 10 years 10 years plus after i i or well beyond that 15 years we're talking 2017 or something um so 15 years after i had discovered it and it had the scene had seemingly got much bigger but there was no real content on youtube in terms of like instructional content on how to play at least not consistently produced at a reasonable production level uh, on a consistent basis and things of, of that nature, you know, regarding some of these bands. And so I looked at Sleep, which was has been one of my favorite bands forever, and decided, well, I'm just going to make a couple of Sleep lessons, you know, and they're terrible. If you go back, like I, I didn't have the gear to do it properly or anything, <laughs> but I was going to try to present the material in the way that a couple of these instructors who I really admired and had learned a lot from had presented the material. So I... Took it on from that standpoint and started doing it. And I didn't know. I thought people were going to be like, man, I didn't, you know, you just didn't know. Like, I thought people were going to be like, screw this guy. You know, this sucks, blah, blah, blah. But they weren't. It was like the absolute opposite. It was like, you know, a starving audience. You, You have this big group of people who are wanting to learn this stuff, but there's no content out there surrounding it. So I put out a couple sleep lessons and people were just... Watching them like crazy, and you know, where they, they were getting shared around online, and and people were started asking, Well, do High on Fire, and then it was like, Do Electric Wizard, do you know, and, and do Win Hand and Conan, and, and people were asking for a lot of the modern stuff. Um, and so I've mm-hmm. Monolord, you know, and I dug in and started doing that stuff, and Sludge stuff, and I Hate God, and Acid King, and just started diving in and teaching these songs and trying to present them in a way that there was, you know, we're kind of focused on the gear, how you get the tone. Uh, but playing the riffs in the right tunings, So to make sure there's a lot of tabs online for this stuff, or at least there's some, but usually they're in the wrong tunings and played positionally, you know, in the wrong spot compared to how the actual artist or band would play the song. So I spend a lot of time focused on that, like getting it correct, making sure the tones in the ballpark, using gear that's correct to what the, or at least reasonably ballpark to what the artist had used, the right tuning, the right position, studying a lot of live footage and trying to put, fourth a really good product for everyone. Um, so they could start learning this style of music, you know, blending in a little bit of theory, music theory, applying it to Doom so people could understand what scales show up over and over and over. Like I could tell you, it's not a lot, you know, it's like there's a there's, <laughs> there's four different scales that get used in every Doom song, you know, I'm exaggerating, but pretty much. Um, and so kind of trying to break it down and help people understand the genre that was, I would assume you know, seen by many as kind of mysterious and and a bit different and slow, and it's been a lot of fun, you know, so that's kind of how it all got started. And that's, that was the focus. My main focus for at least a couple of years was just doing that. And that led to gear demos, right? A lot of the, the pedal builders in, in the niche, um, had started to reach out and ask if I would do some demos because I had picked some of my favorite pedals that I had on hand and started demoing them and not playing the standard fare that you would get, right? Like I would play the the riffs and the downtune stuff and, and you know, play, play it in a way that was probably different from what you'd get with most pedal demos, I would say, at least mm-hmm. in targeted towards the Doom genre. So I felt like at the time when I started, there really wasn't much there and certainly not someone who would get on camera, face to camera and talk and, and you know, do it in a fully produced way.
1: The gear in, the, in that world is always really interesting because I think not, not exclusively, uh, not exclusively, obviously, because a lot of it goes back to IOMI, but I, a lot of the bands seem to have made unpopular gear popular again specifically like sun amps sure is a big one yeah i mean there's been other people i mean i do i everyone hold on to your hats because i think the model t or not excuse me not the model t the beta leads are about to go through the roof because i just saw adam jones was talking about them uh how he used those on some of the tool records i'm like oh boy yeah i mean beta got i got
0: <laughs> Glad I got got one when I could. They've already they started out probably you know three hundred fifty bucks you could get a beta lead and now you're kind of more in the eight fifty range and probably higher you know you see them for a thousand bucks often enough. But I was lucky to get my my Model T before the the huge huge price spike. You know where people recently have been listing Gen One Gen Two Model Ts for five six thousand dollars. I mean I don't know wow. that they actually sell, but um, yeah, the, it's certainly. Uh, you know, the genre still is very obsessed with and it has migrated. I feel like early on, like earlier Doom, classic Doom and stuff was more of the, uh, you know, evil satanic flair. And then it switched and you started to bring in like more of the stoner themes. And then, but now there's just a big theme behind just huge amounts of wattage and amps and, you know, um, thundering low end and tons of speaker cabs. And it's, the genre has migrated a bit in that direction of just like, massive amounts of volume. Mhm. And so that's been interesting to see. I guess point being just the gear focus is just heavy, which it is in in all genres I guess, but I feel like it's it's, you know, it's still analog focused, you know, people are still um after tube amps and big loud tube amps um whereas some genres have gone away and use more of the modeling types type digital softwares and things. I think for
1: in for specifically for metal, that Doom is the last one that is like the amps are a focus. Yeah, like yeah. not just a focus for the sound, but they're a part of the show. Yeah, like you you it wouldn't be the same to go see Matt Pike without a wall of orange amps. Yeah, like, it wouldn't really make any sense. I like I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see him play Helix. You know, I mean I'm sure he would make it sound fantastic, but it it wouldn't be the same. And I think that I don't even. And this is controversial. I don't even care if half the cabs are empty,
0: as long as I get that uh, that visual right, performance. The, the like know? twelve orange cabs and all the heads <laughs> and the two hundred watt thunderburbs and dual darks and uh, you know it's mm-hmm. just cool to see, right? It is. It's just cool. There's no way around it. Yeah.
1: I, and I don't really see that going away, which probably makes touring in a doom band really difficult. Yeah, it's not, you're in this heavy subgenre that you have to bring all this stuff
0: to It's on the it's rise gotta be a if, if anything. You know, you just watch the cab companies and and kind of what they're focused on and you know, you're seeing a lot of 15s and and you know, multiple just more and more speakers covering a wider range of frequencies and and cabs getting bigger and bigger and just trying to f- focus the low end um from the guitarist um standpoint. So it, it's it's almost still on the rise, I feel. Like you it hasn't even peaked. So for your average
1: guitar player or say your average doom metal fan who probably isn't going to be, you know, opening up for Matt Pike anytime soon, but wants to try to get some of that feel and sound, you know, at a more reasonable level, what's a what's a good amp for them to look at?
0: Yeah, I think one of the cool amps out there still is is the um Orange OR15 you know 15 mm-hmm. watt head that kind of has that sound always sounds really good recorded they're 450 500 bucks sometimes down to 350 uh you know 15 watt head um and if there's lots of guys using those for demos online and I, I you know I've been tempted myself to pick one up a time or two because they just always end up sounding really good uh, especially with fuzz pedals and and whatnot so uh I I like that one you know that's a that's a cool option for something someone just just um Looking to kind of do something in in their bedroom or or what what have you. And
1: if somebody is trying to play, you know, a bigger show, is are there still any unsung gems out there that you're ready to reveal to the world, or is it is uh, it all been pretty much mined?
0: I mean, things continue to be mined. I still feel like the old uh, mid '80s Laney AOR amps are are really good, um, high wattage, high volume, great sounding doom amps you know um I guess famously used on by Matt Pike on Holy mountain um, Liz used one in electric wizard um and so though they have a uh, you know um uh, like the the low input is is really clean and then you've got the Aor side of the of the amp that is uh really unique and and awesome uh, in my opinion in terms of how the Eq works and, and whatnot so you could still find those 50 Watts waters for 500 bucks 100 watts for 7 or 8. I mean I still have people tell me they get them for uh, 100 watt for 5 for 500 bucks. So those are still really wow. really killer amps I feel. Um they've got combo versions 30 watt, 50 watt, 100 watt combos and then they had 30 50 100 watt heads uh kind of all through the 80s. And that's the amp I usually tell people uh you know that that's a bit of a sleeper still though although again they've went up in price but but they're still reasonable. Uh, to get your hands on one. Cool. Good to know. Good to know. And there went the reverb
1: prices. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I can't help but... Uh, maybe you can clarify some of this for me. I haven't done enough research to be super familiar, but I have had people ask me about this before, but I bet you know more. What is the story with Mata Amp
0: Orange green like how how does that all tie together i know there's a story there but i yeah. don't know what it is so uh, matt matthias was his name who started matt amp in the in the 60s and uh they were there just a standalone company and you can still see their gt 100s and and series 2000s i think and things like that pop up on reverb now and then but the orange music shop that i guess was i believe in london i'm, I'm probably going to mix up some details here but um, was wanting to build amplifiers. And so they went to um Mad amp and asked, hey, can you build some amplifiers with our branding on them? And so they said, sure. And they started building amps that looked a lot like the MATAMPS amps of the era, but were obviously labeled orange. And then you'd see Mat-Amp underneath the orange. And they were sold through that music shop uh, throughout that era, um, throughout the 70s, I guess. And so the companies were, were still separate, but were working together and then at some point, um, the original Mad Amp shop shut down, and I believe Orange shut down as well. Uh, until I believe in the early '90s, Gibson bought the Orange brand, and okay. the Mad Amp shop was has had also changed hands um, at the time, and so was they were then entirely separate in the early '90s. I say that for a second. Um, Mad Amp released the Green Line. And this was, again, a new version of, of Mad Amp, essentially in tribute to Peter Green, who was one of the first players to uh, play Mad Amps you know, um, in Fleetwood Mac uh, in the what would have been the very early 70s, like 71 or so. And so in tribute to him, they released the Green Series. And then at the same time, uh, Orange kind of was bought by Gibson or, or whatever. And they actually initially had had the Mad Amp shop build some of those amplifiers. Oh, okay. And so they were being sold as orange and the, and even in the later years through the seventies, the Mad Amp branding went away on the orange amps and they, you'll see like there's this transition where then they just say orange. And so they were kind of two separate companies then at that point, but Gibson had recommissioned a Mad Amp to build the orange amps of that era. And then, uh, Gibson ended up selling that brand off to someone else, to the Orange brand that it is today. And that Matamp, I think, again, changed hands, um, but is still functioning as a small custom shop in the UK. Uh, and they still build all of their amplifiers, and they're all built to order. And you can order one today. And and it's, you know, you, you have to do the, the whole, it's kind of a pre-order and you wait on it. Whereas Orange kind of took, whoever took over or- ownership of the Orange brand was able to essentially... You know, blow it up into what it is today and, and kind of in some ways abandon a lot of the older amplifiers. You know, to a certain degree, they did. They were doing more of them a decade ago, but have kind of moved on to their own signature line that, that isn't so much, that doesn't have so much in common with those older MAD amps. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. I was genuinely like, I, I this is going to be the perfect guy to talk to about this, but I have a, uh, I don't know if you've seen it but I actually recently got a orange 212 cab that was super clean like mm-hmm. insanely clean. I think it just got parked in some dude's basement forever. And uh it's from somewhere I contacted Orange and I I have been talking to some pretty knowledgeable people over there and also another tech in the UK uh, and we're thinking it's it's in that early 70s era sometime. Nice. Very it's a cool. 212 with the uh orange uh orange labeled uh cream backs in it. And it just sounds so good. It doesn't matter what I plug into that's it. That's super cool. And it's it, super
0: clean it, <laughs> you <saying. laughs>
1: Oh yeah, it's like brand new. That's It's cool. it, it's kind of insane. I don't know. And I and actually came with the cover. The original like vinyl cover and it's in super good shape too. Um so yeah, that's one of the treasures that I've dug that's up over very there. very cool. I, I, I traded a guitar for it and that's not something I do. It, I always, I'm a hoarder of gear. I don't, I don't get rid of things. Yeah, but I'm pretty bad myself. I figured I could probably find another Rickenbacker and I don't think I'm going to see another no, one of these I cabs mean, in Oregon I mean, anytime they're soon. They're hard to
0: find and certainly in that kind of condition. My orange is actually, I've got an OR120 and matching cab that was built by Mad Amp in the 90s. So one of the, the 90s Gibson Sweet. issued uh, orange amps. So cool.
1: I love I love hearing the history behind these kinds of things, especially like kind of being involved in the the newer gear world. And, I you know, it makes you wonder, you know, certainly I don't think Jamie from EQD like thought that there would probably be stories about their company when he first started. But I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of EQD stories, sure. you know, in the future. It's just kind of a a funny. The guitar world's a funny place. We, we yes. all get very obsessed about yes, these things. Very obsessed. So speaking of pedals, you've been making pedals. Yes. Some very cool pedals, actually. As I I did finally get to plug those things in and rip. And awesome. uh man,
0: I can't believe how much you've squeezed out of one knob on both of these things. I'm glad it's you, insane. I'm glad you like them. It was uh it was a bit of a natural evolution for us. We started out building pedal boards. Um, me and my best friend kind of got together and and decided we would do that. And and we took that and had built pedal boards for a while and and we're I'm an engineer by trade and he's a, he's also an engineer by trade and uh and we had ended up manufacturing a bunch of those and then ended up passing that manufacturing over to Mojotone, also here in North Carolina and okay. as we as we ended up handing off that manufacturing it kind of opened the door for us to do something else and pedals was just the next natural thing um just because I was I was really interested in, in trying to give it a go. And we had enough good friends and people we'd worked with that we felt like we could put together a solid team and kind of go for it. And we decided to start out out of the gate with this kind of one knob series of pedals. Basically, I wanted for myself uh, a Green Ringer style analog octave on a clean blend. And so that became our first pedal, which was our Hyper coven. And, uh, you know, typically when you see that kind of circuit, it doesn't have any sort of knob on, it. it's just a, a single stomp, but something that, that became really popular with Earthquaker's life pedal was to ha- have this analog octave sound, um, but have it be blendable. And so that was the first mm-hmm. thing we approached because it's just really fun within the genre to apply that style effect, uh, to various dirt pedals and, you know, rat distortions and big muffs. And I've got all these rat variants here. And so it's really fun to give it that octave effect. But if you have it on full, it just doesn't really work well for the drone stuff. You kind of need to be able to back it off. So that's where it started. And then we branched out from there um, and did a couple more pedals like a a boost and a a fuzz and uh, ended up, The two I sent you were the two latest we released, which was our Sabathi Fuzz and our Valpurgis. And the Sabathi Fuzz is a one knob. I guess we just decided to continue on the one knob idea because it was working. People seemed to really like it. We had really great response from it and kind of nobody had done it, like focused on like, what can we stuff in a one knob pedal? And it may get kind of ridiculous with our latest release, uh, but it still came out (laughs) sounding awesome. So like the Sabathi is based on the Boss FC2 Hyper Fuzz and we had never seen someone do that in a single knob version, right? Everybody takes the fuzz face and puts it in a single knob, but nobody had ever taken the FC2 Hyperfuzz and kind of put it in a single knob version. So we did our own little take on that pedal and uh, that became our Sabathy fuzz. And then this Valpurgis, um, which was interesting. I listened to your podcast uh, with John from EAE a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about Nick Williams, uh, formerly of Dunwich. Mm Mm-hmm. And we brought Nick on to help with uh, this design, which was a really, really fun one to work on. And kind of he joined our our group to to help with that, which is essentially a JFET emulation of a Laney Supergroup amplifier for that that Tony Iommi would have used in the late '60s through the '70s. And then we added a um, modified Range Master circuit that works on a blend. So you've got this one knob, Iommi Black Sabbath in a box. Uh, pedal that's, that's kind of, I feel like never really been done before. And just Nick is just amazing. You know, he's just, uh, been working on preamp emulations for a very long time and just, just has the process down really well. Uh, and the thing just came out amazing. I mean, it was like a year in development it took us forever to, to, cause you got to set the EQ, right? It's all, you're going to be fixed EQ. We could have done a multi knob, but decided to, to just, get really adventurous with the single knob. And hopefully, you know, what we've seen that we launched that, uh, in mid November and the response has been really amazing. So it's, it's just, that one makes me feel like a kid again, just like being 16, 15 years old, discovering Black Sabbath. And, and we really tried to nail like Tony's mid seventies, live tone. And I, I hope we've done it. You know, I've spent my life listening to that stuff and and having the gear, I have an old Super Group, I have a mid '60s SG Special, I've got all the Range Masters, um, and so really have chased that tone over the years. So that pedal was kind of the culmination of that tone chase and wanting to be able to give it to people uh, in in what would be you know kind of a very simple, easy you know you just turn the knob and rotate it up and it'll kind of take you through the Sabbath eras, and uh, without having to go chase down all this crazy vintage Super Groups and, and things of that nature. I was
1: really surprised how well it worked at exactly its mission awesome. for being for being a single knob. I plugged it into my Fender uh um blah blah, blah uh, Fender 75 head. Um, and that's just a big, yep, loud, clean amp, like uh, which actually would probably work well for certain genres of Doom, absolutely or certain s- sections of Doom now that I think about it. Yeah. Um I plugged it in there. It's always my like base cuz it's so new. It's like, it's not neutral. It still has that Fender scoop thing going on. Yeah. But it's really hard to get it to break up on its own. So it's good for kind of just seeing what the pedal's going to do. Sure. And uh yeah, I was like, "Wow. This is okay. This is definitely a, <laughs> the Tony sound. Like this is the really I was really impressed with it. And I was also really impressed uh, not to make this like a big commercial in the middle of things, but like I was really impressed out of the box. I was like, the fit and finish on these is really, really nice. Like, well, thank I you. Spend a lot of time looking at a lot of pedals and helping people with different things, and I spend so much time in pedal land. And it's not, it's not too often that I get one out of the box that I've never really heard much of before. And I'm like, wow, these the details, you really nailed
0: it. Well, and thank you. I love it. Yeah, we've we've got just an awesome team of people, um, you know, working within the Does It Doom pedal, the pedal side of the company, I guess. And and like I said, my best friend is part of that. And we brought on other engineers. I guess it's five core engineers um, who've all worked in industry and are all very um, detail oriented, like people. And I'm big on the aesthetic. We work with Chris at Earthward Art on Instagram, who does all of our artwork. And he's just great with capturing the kind of occult vibe uh that that we're after and just making really awesome monochromatic um pedal artwork which he's done work for black arts tone works he did a bunch of work for dunwich over the years and just some of my favorite um pedal art and so he was kind of the guy when i wanted to do it and uh you know we hooked up with obscura manufacturing who is just up the road here in lenoir north carolina or lenoir um and they do all of our enclosures. So um just really again, and he's a super detail oriented um, you know, guy as well. And and wanting things to really be the the vibe and the feel, like we want it we want you to open it and and it to look awesome and play awesome and sound awesome. Um and so hopefully we've achieved that. You did. You did. I definitely
1: recommend people go check out this stuff if you have not already. Thank you. Uh I'm I'm really enjoying it. And actually, um, because I like to do things wrong and weird all the time, after I got done playing my baritones through it, I immediately grabbed uh, this little Groovebox synth I got in from Electron. and start, <laughs> I was like, well, uh, let's see what happens when I just completely destroy the signal with <laughs> with, <laughs> with the Sabathi in particular. And I was like, well, this works way better than I thought it was going to. This is uh, gross in <laughs> all of the right ways. I was just yeah, pummeling it, was- it with bass. The well, um, Sabbath a heavy like, fuzz, for sure. Yeah, it's great fun. Oh, it's so much fun. I love it. Um, so, one thing I wanted to ask you: obviously, we've we've focused on on the doom, and that's your thing. Yes, but you think your audience would be surprised at at any of your other
0: musical tastes? Um, I mean, I think largely, I, I'm a big big blues fan, and I've talked about it here and there over the, over the years. Um, and I think people get it, you know. I don't know if they're if if people would have dove as deep into it as I have, um, but you know, like I'm a I'm a huge fan. I mentioned Peter Green; he's one of my favorite guitarists of all time. But I've spent tons of time just studying guys like Freddie King and Albert King and BB King and and um, Otis Rush, and and you know, I'm a big slide guitar fan. Um, and so I don't know if they would be surprised. I think a lot of the go- people in the doom metal community are kind of, they may not listen to it, but I think they would like it if they did uh, because it's got that downtrodden feel a lot of the times, you know, um, especially I'm a big fan of minor blues. I've actually threatened to put together a course on minor, like pure minor blues um, and actually have have done it, but I've never shot video for it, like I've written a manual, the whole thing. Um, so I don't know if they'd be too surprised at that, but but that is probably my other like true love as a as a genre. And then I still I still like like kind of the older metal stuff, you know, that that everybody likes as well. But I, I won't I don't listen to it as much. But I like classic rock too. Like I'm a big Cream fan, and and I really I think if people go back, you can realize if you ever check out on YouTube the mythology recordings, which is Tony Iommi and Bill Ward of Black Sabbath pre Sabbath, mm-hmm. so pre Earth, like like in the middle of the '60s. It's a blues band. They're covering um, songs that Clapton did on the Beano record with John Mayall and, you know, Tony's playing as pure fire, but it it's, it's just, it all started there. I feel. And I, I feel like Tony was almost more Clapton focused than he was necessarily focused on guys like Freddie and and Albert King and who Clapton was more focused on. Right. Um, and so Tony kind of took what Clapton was doing and, and transformed it a bit and took it forward. But that And I've never heard that anywhere. That's just my synopsis of it because uh, because when you see him, you, you've got this album of live footage where Tony's playing all these songs that were popular because of what Eric was doing uh, with the Blues Breakers at the time. So I don't know. It, it's a natural evolution. I've got a really cool playlist on Spotify, Does It Doom um, Blues playlist that a lot of people have checked out that I've pointed them to or where I just kind of curated Tons and tons of of just old blues, Chicago blues and um, Delta blues and everything. So uh, that's, that's really my other main musical interest, I would say. It's really... The blues, I think most people know at this
1: point, we wouldn't have any rock without it, like, at all. It's yeah. 100% the root of... And it's the root of so many other things. It's also, obviously, like, hip-hop and R&B also come from there. Like, everything comes from the blues and it's somewhat unfortunate that i think it's been taken uh in more recent times to and spun as kind of a bad thing or not necessarily a bad thing but something that's sort of uncool in a lot of circles um and i can understand there's like definitely some some dad rock connotations with some of it and and some of that's deserved and some of it isn't but you know we wouldn't have the wide variety of music that we have today without you know Robert Johnson
0: yeah like, yeah at absolutely. the end of the day it, yeah I mean it just wouldn't exist again it kind of you know the the guys in the UK at the time um took what was what had been done by those guys by those early blues musicians uh and transformed it into something that became rock and metal like it's undeniable right mm-hmm
1: it's it's kind of funny like Iomis really an interesting case study mm-hmm. for what that because he took it and somehow made this sort of um the sad music and he made it menacing. Yeah. In a in a way that nobody had ever done before. But when you listen to him talk he seems like a relatively like happy dude, yes. which is kind of fun. it's kind it's kind of funny to see that juxtaposition and, and I think a lot of people think uh, if they're not into the into heavy music or of any kind, they, they tend to see the whole scene as a scary thing when I mean, most people involved in it are, are teddy bears. I mean, there's sure. definitely some scary
0: people that yes. have been involved in metal. Let's not say there hasn't, but
1: <laughs> most people are teddy bears.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree. And I, I think when you look at Sabbath, you have to look at all of the members because geezer and his lyrics played a played a huge part. You know, he was the main lyricist in the band and uh, that's a huge part of the overall imagery. I mean, I think Tony's uh, unfortunate, accident with his losing his fingertips on his fretting hand led him to want to downtune uh, for you know he's said before that it was you know out of just necessity to to play um, but obviously it added to the um, ominous feel of the music but even the first couple records that aren't downtuned at all have that that feel to them right like Black Sabbath Black Sabbath is, is one of the first true heavy metal I mean certainly the template for doom but true heavy metal songs of all time and it's in standard tuning, but they're, the the lyrics right out of the gate, right? It's just um, they were doing, some, they were intentionally trying to take what was being done in horror films and things of, uh, like that, and and trying to apply that. Let's scare people, right? Like that's the story. Is that Geezer saw the the movie theater marquee sign that said Black Sabbath and said, "Why don't we call it Black Sabbath?" You know, because um, people right. like to be scared, and so they ran with it. But um, clearly uh, changed the course of of history. In doing so. I was thinking about this
1: recently. I was listening to a series on on the Misfits. Mm-hmm. And it's like their history and things. And I was thinking about how in mainstream culture, horror movies definitely get blamed for <laughs> uh, some societal ills sure. and whatever. But I feel like scary, quote unquote, sounding music gets blamed more. You know, yes. um, Over when, the years. when really the really the movies have influenced the music more so than the other way around, I think, in a lot of cases, especially in the early days. Yeah. But it's weird how like these insanely graphic and violent movies, um, which don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that necessarily is a bad thing. I, I like horror movies a lot, but they are like people are more like just don't watch those. But Black Sabbath is corrupting the youth. Right.
0: <laughs> it's kind of a strange juxtaposition. It's, it's, Do you have any theories as to thought. why that might be? I've never thought about it before, but it's, it is it is an interesting thought. And hopefully, you know, over the decades, some of that has faded a little bit, like the fight against it, right? You're not seeing the things you saw uh, a few decades ago, at least. Uh, and maybe I don't pay close enough attention, but... But it is pretty interesting to think it, it's like you you get a freebie because it's a movie but because it's music uh it's interpreted in a different way. Um but I, I do agree with with what you said there and it's it's interesting to think about.
1: I wonder if it's because the movies are records can be a especially now it can be a passive experience that you can take with you and sort of Have have around at all times, and therefore maybe they do influence you more in some ways due to the more constant exposure, especially as a teenager or a kid. Where, you know, I think we've all went through periods, especially anybody that's listening to this show, where we've sat down and just, you know, obsessed over one record in our earphones as a teenager at some point. You know, yeah, and that
0: is going to influence you more than watching a movie once or twice and I guess movies are seen as fiction you know in a lot of ways like it's seen as fiction whereas I don't know that there's that necessarily that feeling with music for me you know that I I feel like um you know you're listening to someone's art they're both art forms obviously but one is is intentionally fictitious and the other isn't like I didn't feel like when we were listening to Sam Hain that it was meant to be um funny in any way you know you know what i'm saying like listening to sam mm-hmm. and it was like this the misfits had taken this darker like even darker less less horror film oriented direction or danzig had taken his his direction to this darker place that was more you know i guess these pagan tribal themes and just darker all murder all guts all fun you know you know just just a a, a darker turn and it, it didn't seem like a a fictional thing, at least at the time, you know?
1: Yeah, that's true. I think we can, even though the artist's intent may very well be to have it be a fictional piece, especially as kids, it, it, it may, that may get mixed up. Yeah. You know, that may get, that may get twisted. And so even comic books are like more obviously, you know, a work of fiction. Yeah. And So when you hear, you know, the misfits say that they, they're going to kill your mother and it's like, wait, are you going to kill my mother? Like, is that really what's going on? And especially as, a, as somebody who, like, say, a parent who doesn't know anything about the band, they're like, what is this? It seems more, I guess, it, as we work through this idea, it seems more uh, real and intentional than something that's obviously just
0: made to entertain for a short period Yeah, I can time. say, like, my guitar teacher in 10th grade acoustic guitar class was not impressed when I brought in Skulls. As the, the song for people to, for the class to play. Needless to say, I can remember him like reading off the, off the page, like everybody take this out of your book and this is what you need to throw this away. And these are the lyrics, you know, like, you know, collect the heads of little girls and you know what I mean? Like just have the heads <laughs> off and he wasn't singing it. He was talking and it. That's a vivid memory for me. And so then the rest of the year it would be like, you know, what do you want to play? And you'd hear every, like all the dudes yelling skulls from the back of the room. just funny (laughs) not impressed he was not impressed so again you know just not seen as a thing of fiction and even going you know I've,
1: I've told this story on the podcast before I think but even I'm not sure if I have I think I did but kind of in the same direction I wrote a horror a short horror piece in seventh grade and it wasn't even really that crazy honestly it was just like it was. I can't remember the exact story, and I wish I could find it, but I, I don't know where it is. But it was. It basically it was like this kid gets lured out the window by ghosts, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the night. Is essentially what happened. There's a lot more details to it than that. But my seventh grade teacher like kept me after class, and she was like, "Listen, I can't." Ha-. She she told us like you can write about whatever you want, and I came up with this weird story because I liked horror stuff, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, we I can't have you writing." this kind of occult horror ever again, or we're going to have to have you talk to somebody. And I remember thinking it was so, so strange because she gave me a really good grade on it too. Like she told me like, don't ever write this again, but I got like almost like a full score on it. So it's like, maybe it was actually pretty good for a seventh grader. (laughs) uh, And it just scared her that much. I don't know. Um, You need to find it. But I didn't, (laughs) I, I have no idea where it is. My parents might have it somewhere. I, I do know though that I didn't take her too seriously about it because my parents had both read it and they were like, oh, that's pretty good. And neither of them are like horror aficionados right. or anything. It, so they were just like, oh, that's good. It didn't scare them about story. your mental well being though. No, no. I mean, maybe some of the music I was listening to did a little bit, but no, they were
0: always pretty cool. Yeah, same. About, I mean, I don't know. I, I collected comics and always kind of, you know, again, like tended towards the dark side of the, th- of the, uh, of the of the niche, right? Like I didn't want Marvel. I wanted Evil Ernie and Lady Death and you know, Spawn <laughs> and all that stuff. What do you think it is about that?
1: Like I definitely have an attraction to that stuff too, but there's no real reason I can point to. I just know that like as soon as I saw, you know, Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark when I was a kid, I was like, that's my that's my that's what I'm into. Yeah. I like that. I have no
0: no don't know why. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, I mean that same thing. Just I don't I don't necessarily know why I've probably been asked why by my parents, but <laughs> over the years, <laughs> um, but I've always had that that attraction to the the occult kind of you know, but not like a serious like in the imagery and music and and like you're saying um, comic books. For I was just a huge hugely into comic books, and maybe it's the fantasy thought side of it. Like it's definitely not a real thing for you know what I'm saying. Like it's not. Um, like all of our pedals have this real cool occult imagery. But again, it's just like I view it more as that for me, right? It's more of this like take on the art and the the fictional side of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I don't really think that, you know, um, that Eli Roth is like genuinely interested in like hacking up people. But he's pretty good at making fiction about right. it, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's very <laughs> it's, true. And it's a, it's a very weird... It's a weird thing because in the past, pe- the the art and the content that people have consumed has been pointed at as reasons for uh, crimes yes. and things like that. And it's and it doesn't doesn't I can understand why you'd want to make that connection if you're like super unfamiliar with any of it, right? Because it's like wow, this is new and scary. Um, but at the same time, there's no proof that. That there really is any link whatsoever, and if if there was, boy, like I think we'd we would see a whole lot more problems than we right. actually do end yeah. up seeing. And it's yeah. kind of a strange thing. I can understand the mental leap, but at the same time, it is a mental leap. I would agree. Let's see here. We got uh, we got a little bit of time left here. Let's uh, before we get into the classic questions, I like to do this thing where I let the guests you know, say whatever they want to say, you know, shout out their grandpa, you know, or anything else they want to plug or anything you want to get off your chest.
0: Yeah. You know, no, now's the time to do so. If you're interested in this genre of metal or learning more about it, you know, come check out our YouTube channel. Does it doom? Um, we've got, you know, countless lessons at this point, uh, and how to play these songs and how to achieve these tones of of many of the most popular songs across the genre, um, and you can obviously find me anywhere. You can find me on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter and and uh, all of the standard platforms at Does It Doom, and that's what we focus on. Um, this past year, I also started a guitar brand called Woodwright Guitars uh, with uh, in partnership with the Woodbine Custom Shop, and uh, we were very um, excited to have your Stringjoy strings on those guitars as they all shipped. We shipped them in C standard. Um, there was no E standard going on here for the doom crowd. <laughs> and so we took some uh, Stringjoy heavy bal- or balanced heavy strings. And uh, I guess they were 12 to 56. And so everything was, was set up in C standard. And we kind of brought this old first act double cut guitar back to life, um, which I've collected uh, several of them over the years. And so check out Woodwright Guitars because um, that's something else that's uh, that's been a huge deal for for Does It Doom over the past year.
1: Very cool, and also yeah, thank you for letting us be a part of it. I think they look awesome, and I love what you're doing with them, and it's really cool
0: to. To be strung up on something like that. That's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I've, I've become a big fan of uh, your string brand before that and have had them. I mean, they're on most of my guitars at this point. Uh, Thank you very much. Well, I'm waiting for you to do some flats and, and half-wounds, and, and then they'll probably be on everything. That
1: is uh, that is so high on our list, and we, we are really close to being done um, with getting our things dialed in for that. But... The problem is, is uh, we have to introduce those without letting production slip on everything else. So yeah. it's kind of a juggling match, or a ju- juggling match is that a thing? That's not a thing, but yeah, it's a it's a, it's a uh, battle. It's a, a balancing act. Yeah. That's what that's what it is of trying to keep keep production going uh, as demand has has escalated while also like introducing really genuinely cool new products and I'm really excited what we're doing on the flats so yeah, I think, we can get those
0: out soon you know soon. um they, there's some cool um bands that use flats you know I think in within the doom genre for sure Slomatics use flats Conan has used flats at least on on one record uh Stephen O'Malley uses flats in Sun uh and they just you know they cut a bunch of high end and and um can sound really good with fuzz and kind of cut the output a little bit of your guitar almost. And so obviously mm-hmm. very popular and famous in the jazz world, but there could be some other um, avenues and, and reasons for people to try them and, and half uh, rounds are awesome too for kind of a blend of both, but that's exciting. I'm, I'm I'm excited to see you guys kind of doing it. I do realize it's probably a very niche thing. When you look at the overall string market, it was probably hard to to make the leap, but. It is cool to see. The,
1: the the hardest part about it is I think a lot of people don't realize uh how labor intensive flats are mm. to make. There's so many no. steps that go into it. I mean, a lot of people don't know they're they're actually polished. Like right. they don't just feel the way they feel because of the material. They're also like that's a whole nother step in well, multiple steps depending on how everyone's doing it, but it's for us it'll probably end up being multiple steps before the final uh the final polish it's really they just take a lot to make and uh that's why not very many people make them
0: yeah i mean they're smooth (laughs) as butter right it's like your wound strings (laughs) almost feel like plain strings and uh all your string noise is gone Uh, it's just uh it's Mm -hmm. very different let me i don't know if you play flats on anything uh regularly but oh yeah to me, it's very different. You know, when I first tried flat wound strings, I was expecting like a minor change. And I would say it's not a minor change, in my opinion. No. You know? No, it really changes.
1: It almost, not entirely, but it feels almost like a different instrument. Agree. The way you glide around the fretboard. It's really, really a cool experience. It's it's not right for everything. No.
0: But I, I do like them. Yeah. They're fun. Me too. I, I recommend people try them. I tell people all the time, like, give them a try. You may hate them, but especially in this genre... You know where people are almost there's this trend, especially with more and more use of fuzz and distortion to back off on pickup output and things like that. As soon as you go to flats, it's like another step. I feel like a solid step back in output, and just all your string noise is gone. Can be really good for recording, at least you know in my experience um, with some direct record with direct recording and stuff can just clean things up, and it's a big it's a big change, and a lot of people don't realize that just changing the strings on their guitar like that. Can totally change the feel and tone of the instrument. So that'll take me into a whole another, uh, whole nother
1: huge rant. So yeah, like people <laughs> in general, people, people, and myself, formerly in a past life, overlooked that. It's but it's literally the thing making the sound. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah, the, the guitar wouldn't exist without strings. Yet it's one of the first things that we all just kind of go, yeah, it's a string. A strings, a string is a string, which is just not
0: true. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the differences in processes are and procedures and materials. I mean, I assume it's huge, but I always find your strings last long. They have a really good tuning stability for me. Uh, And uh, you just have everything available, right? Like all the custom sets. And uh, I just love the process of going through your website. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, like I said, it's kind of become my, my go-to when I need strings and want to try different things, Um, you know? i just strung up my 12 string first act custom shop guitar with with a heavy gauge 12 set you know 12 string set that i was able to to get that otherwise you just can't go get um right and that's what that's what's really appealing um for me all those things so awesome well
1: thank you so much man i appreciate that yeah
0: man we the whole crew does. big fan uh
1: okay last couple questions these are the classic questions sure this this is gonna be fun. I, I have a feeling I know what one of the answers will be, but let's see. So this is the first question. What is your favorite boss pedal?
0: Yeah, I think for me it's the hyperfuzz FC two. I that's what I thought you were yeah, gonna say, I mean Which that, is why you made a version. Yeah. That makes sense. That pedal is kind of the sound of of electric wizard through the years, you know, they've They've started the first album. I don't think self-titled uses it, but obviously Electric Wizard is a huge band in the doom genre, and uh, just has stuck to that pedal basically from from the Dope Throne or, or from Come My Fanatics and Dope Throne all the way through, and he's changed the settings that he's used on it. You know, the early stuff's using that fuzz to octave fuzz scooped octave fuzz sound, and then. You know, over the past many years, decade plus, he's been using the boost mode, which is often overlooked for how incredible the boost mode on that pedal is. Uh, and then the the Fuzz 1 is a great sounding fuzz as well, which I believe he used at some points throughout their career. So that is my favorite boss pedal for sure. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Okay, final question. And this is the one that gets a little bit dicey, but I feel like you probably came prepared. What is your favorite kind of
0: pizza? My favorite kind of pizza is um I just kind of like a a New York style um pepperoni pizza, you know, kind of burnt. Um that's my favorite kind of pizza. There you go.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm with you on that. I love a nice thin crust. I love a little bit of char. Yep. And you know, that, that New Haven style, I feel like is kind of overlooked as well as sort of the I think as far as my pizza history knowledge goes, I could be a little off on this. It's kind of the precursor to the, what became the NY Pie. But um, yeah, love that thin stuff. Yeah, Jersey's Great. got some good stuff too.
0: Oh yeah, Jersey yeah. does too. You got a favorite pizzeria you want to shout out real quick? Um, I like Louisa's Pizza down here in Charlotte.
1: All right, there you go. <laughs> Sweet. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was very educational for me, and I'm sure it was for lots of people. And uh, I love what you do, so keep killing it! Man. Yeah,
0: thanks so much, Blake. I really appreciate it. Had a great time chatting, man.
1: All right, for Steve, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, everybody, there you go. There you have it. There is the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you would like more conversation, if you'd like more weirdness, more just general whatever, and you'd like to support the show, you can do that by going to ToneMob.com slash Patreon, where for five bucks a month, you can support this podcast and also get additional content beamed directly to your ears every week. You can also find that content, if you're an Apple user, through their subscription service. So if you look in your podcast player, you'll see some episodes are available via subscription, and those are the same as the Patreon episode. So if you want that and you'd like to support the show, that is an easy way to do that as well. And if you can't, as always, please share this with a friend. Please, please, please tell somebody about it. I know it sounds cheesy, and I know every podcast you listen to asks the same thing, but if this one means anything to you, I would really, really appreciate you sharing this with somebody. You know, it really helps out more than you might know. You know, talk about it in your favorite uh, gear community. Yeah, I heard on the Tone Mob podcast that uh, those dozen at Doom pedals are pretty cool. That's uh, one way you can do it. I know a lot of us are the sole gearhead in our neck of the woods, and our communities for that kind of thing are online. So any plug that you can do that makes sense and isn't cheesy and, like, spammy, I'm all for it. So thank you. Thank you so much for everyone that's done that. Thank you for tuning in, and I will talk to you very soon.